to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Hey, as, uh, as we're approaching Christmas and, uh, you know, December 25th is coming and we're re- getting ready to give gifts, we're getting ready to get gifts and just be honest, you like getting gifts just as much as you like giving them. Just be real. Don't be pious. You know, you're, everything's getting really, really exciting. And you know, as we're approaching that season, I figured I would take just like a quick survey. So just answer by raising your hands. Has anybody in the room ever received a Christmas gift that you honestly just didn't want? Come on. Yep. Uh-huh. Now, has anybody ever received a Christmas gift from someone in this room you just didn't want? I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh-uh. Do not raise your hand. We don't want to cause division in the room. Right? We've all kind of been there where somebody's given us a gift, and, you know, we put on the smile. Ha, this is what I always wanted. But you really do not want that at all. It kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, I don't remember what age I was, nine or ten, we were at a, a family Thanksgiving and an extended family member had come, over, had come over to um, give me my present and I didn't know what it was, but my brother did. And so he was just kind of, you know, just poking at me and said, oh, I know what you got for Christmas. And then I just kind of joked back and I said, yeah, I bet it's clothes or something lame like that. I opened the gift and it was clothes and something lame like that right in front of the family member. And I felt terrible, inserted foot directly into my mouth. Couldn't really take it back at that point. But I was 10. You want toys, not a sweater? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right? But sometimes we get gifts we really don't want. But, you know, as you grow older, you can kind of accept it well. You know, if, if I could relate this to how a lot of people relate to God, and I'm thinking primarily non-believers here, Here's what I think that a lot of non-believers do. I think a, a lot of non-believers realize that God expects something from, from, from people, that he wants their worship, he, he wants their honor, he wants their respect, but they don't really want to give him exactly what he's written on his Christmas list. So they just sort of gather together whatever they would like to give God, and they expect him to kind of take it smiling, saying, thank you, this is what I always wanted. What I mean is is they realize, yeah, God wants their whole life, their heart, their repentance, their faith, their devotion, but they don't really want to give that to him. So, hey, three or four Sundays in a year, I'll go to church, Christmas and Easter. Hey, I've got a good gift that I'm going to give to a charity at the end of the year. God, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. It's going to be wonderful. You know, I, I don't think I can get on board with all Ten Commandments, but three or four are awesome. Love those. You know, I can get on board with half the Ten Commandments. And they just sort of kind of gather up whatever they'd like and offer it to God and expect Him to smile and say thank you. But here's the truth about God, is God is not like you and I. And God will not accept gifts He didn't ask for and He doesn't want smiling and just rolling with it. The truth is that salvation does not come on our own terms. Salvation comes on God's terms. And God has called us to be a holy priesthood that offers up sacrifices, offerings, thanksgivings that are not impure, that aren't blemished, that aren't whatever we want to offer. God has not called us to be Cain, but to be able in giving him our very best and what he requires. And the sad truth, the, the fact of the matter is that Many will kind of deal with this Christianity where they do and give whatever they want and not what God wants. But God has promised that those who do not obey him, they will come under judgment when he comes back. And then if they do not go through God's purifying fire and serve him with righteousness, there will be an all-consuming fire waiting on them in the end of days. 
And so today God is calling us to true, honest, righteous worship, a holy priesthood, to live for him how he's called us to. So that's why today we are looking at Malachi chapter 3. If you would, everybody go ahead and just stand up in the room in reverence of the word of God. And we're going to read Malachi chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 over to verse 6. Malachi says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I am the Lord that do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Thank you. You can be seated. So who is Malachi? Malachi is an Old Testament prophet, and he is the last of what is called the minor prophets. They're called the minor prophets not because they're less important, but because their writings are shorter, and there are 10 of them. And in your Bible, Malachi is actually the last book of the Old Testament. So if you look in in, in your Bible, there's Malachi, a little space, and then Matthew begins. And Malachi is prophesying against the nation of Israel or the the nation of Judah, and he's got some major problems because of their sinfulness. But unlike a lot of the other prophets, Malachi is prophesying to a very uh, peculiar audience, to a a very certain subgroup of Israelites. Malachi is prophesying against the Levitical priesthood. Now, the Levitical priesthood goes all the way back to Moses' day when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and formed them into a holy nation. God selected the entire tribe of Levi. There were 12 tribes of Israel, and he selected the tribe of Levi and said, you will be a priesthood. Your tribe, you will be priests before God. And so the priests in Israel's day had uh, two primary functions, that they were kind of the the middleman between God and humanity, where God would speak to humanity, and at the same time, they were kind of the middleman through which humanity would go to worship God. Here's what I mean, that when humanity wanted to worship the Lord, the Levites, on behalf of the whole nation, would go into God's temple and they would offer up sacrifices, so animal sacrifices, and then uh, grain offerings, uh, drink offerings, food offerings, different offerings before the Lord. So the worship of the entire nation went through the priesthood. And at the same time, the priests were were meant to be God's voice to the people and that they were to study the law, preach the law, and apply the law for holiness in the land. So the priests were kind of the middle way between God and his people and the primary way that the nation of Israel would bring worship, honor, and glory to God through their sacrifices. But in Malachi's day, this priesthood had grown corrupt, and God had begun to refuse the worship of Israel. What had happened is that Malachi says that the priesthood began to hold the table or the altar of the Lord in contempt. 
that they were supposed to offer animal sacrifices of the Lord, but they held it in contempt. They looked down on it. They didn't think it was important. And instead of offering sacrifices on God's terms, they offered it on theirs. See, God required that they would offer up an animal, and that animal had to be perfect. It couldn't have a spot. It couldn't have a blemish. It couldn't have a broken bone, a disease, blindness, nothing. The physical health of of the animal was a representation of the heart of the individual and of the nation bringing a holy, pure, righteous sacrifice and worship to God. But they had corrupted this, and so they began offering up animals that were paralyzed and blind and sick and just holding worship in content. And at the same time, they corrupted God's truth to the people. The Bible says that, that they would teach the law of God, but they would, they would teach it and kind of give their own spin to it. They would teach with partiality. Depending who their audience was, they would teach and they would scratch itching ears and kind of do and say whatever they wanted and however it benefited them. Not only this, but the priest of God, who should serve God alone, began to marry women from idolatrous nations and worship those gods. So they weren't even faithful to the Lord, but they were unfaithful priests. And the ones who did marry women uh, from Judea, from Israel, uh, they weren't very faithful to them, but they began to divorce them for unjust reasons. So you can see how impactful this is to the nation. These are the people that offer up worship and praises to God for the entire nation, and they have grown corrupt. Their sacrifices are unrighteous because they are on their terms and not God's terms. God actually tells them, I do not accept your worship because it doesn't come from a pure heart filled with the love of God, but a sinful and wicked heart. The intention is bad. God rejects their worship because the guilt of their sin still remains over their heads, and God will not accept something that is sinful and unholy. But in comes Malachi in chapter 3. After all of this bad news, he promises that God is going to do something to save the people. He says that a messenger is going to go before him and prepare the way, and then that God himself would step down among the people in his holy temple. He says that he is going to come like a refiner's fire and launderer's bleach and purify a priesthood that will once again offer good, righteous, holy, acceptable sacrifices to God. So if I can kind of let you in on a little secret, as we are approaching December 25th, as we're approaching Christmas Day celebrating the arrival of our Savior, Malachi is prophesying the arrival of Jesus. The messenger that goes before Christ is none other than John the Baptist. The Gospels actually use this language that he is the one who prepares the way for the Lord. And then who is Jesus but God himself, the God-man coming down to earth to work among his people. The Bible says he's a refiner's fire come to purify his people. Don't you remember that John the Baptist said, one is coming after me and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, a refiner's fire, a purifying fire. And so what is the story of Christmas? What has Jesus come to do 2,000 years ago? God became a man to purify for himself a priesthood that would offer up pure, holy, acceptable sacrifices to him once again. 
And as we read the rest of the New Testament, we realize how this takes form. You see, Jesus introduces a new covenant, a new agreement with God, a new way of relating to God. And in this new covenant, there is no longer a Levitical priesthood from the tribes of Levi, but we actually know from the New Testament that God's plan is that every single Christian would be a priest. And every single Christian would have direct access to God's presence. And every single Christian would offer up worship that is pleasing to God. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. Paul says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then over here in the book of Hebrews, the author says, therefore by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So what is the whole picture? God became a man to create for himself a priesthood that would be holy and righteous with the righteousness he gives them as the refiner's fire and the launderer's bleach. And that this priesthood would be a spiritual priesthood. And rather than offering up animals and grain offerings, they would offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. Then the way they think, and the way that they talk, and the way they treat other people, that in the words of the Apostle Paul, their very bodies would be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God as our reasonable service or worship to him. Christ came to produce a spiritual priesthood in which everything we do is seen as worship and holy to God. I don't know if you've ever had an identity crisis, if you've ever wondered, why am I on this earth? What is the point of all this? Why am I a human being? It is right here. The the Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it like this. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Your job Your vocation, your role, your purpose as a Christian is to be a a priest in a perpetual temple offering up sacrifices day and night, day and night, day and night, world without end through Christ our Lord. He purifies you so that your worship will be pure to him. But as I stated earlier, I think a lot of people in this world, they kind of get, get the gist They understand that God expects something from them, that God wants worship from them. But instead of viewing it like this, instead of being purified by the righteousness of Christ, they live like the Levitical priesthood in Malachi's day. They begin to do things their own way and on their own terms. And they think that I can kind of manipulate God, and if I just give him something, he'll accept that it's fine. doesn't matter what it is. If I can just sort of scrape up some spiritual change from in between my couch cushions, he's a nice guy. He'll accept it. So I understand God wants a a sacrifice of praise from my lips, and he wants me to love my neighbor, but I don't really have all all the time for that. But I'll get to church a few times a year, and God will be really impressed with me. 
you know, look, I understand God wants me to be a holy person. I get that. But, you know, Ten Commandments are kind of hard. But I'm not Hitler. You know what I'm saying? It could be worse. You know, I don't lie that much. I'm faithful to my wife. You know, like, I haven't murdered anybody. God, isn't, isn't that pretty good to you? Kind of scrape something together and offer it to him. God, I know that you've called me to know your truth, to receive your truth, to live out your truth, to preach your truth, but oh, that kind of gets me in trouble. I don't really know if I can do all that. I'll kind of bend it and shape it so it makes me feel good. Not actually what the Bible says. It's a little, little sketchy. And we sort of come to God with our corrupted offerings. We bring him a bull or a lamb or a goat with blemishes and diseases. And instead of being faithful to him, we try and worship God and be a slave to the world's idols. But the truth is that you cannot serve God on your own terms. Buffet Christianity will not work. But God has called his people to be a holy people, to offer up sacrifices on his terms and in his ways. God has come down to make you righteous so that your offerings and your worship would be righteous in his eyes. And those who live on their own terms, their offerings are unrighteous because it's on their terms and not God's terms. Their offerings are unrighteous because it doesn't come from a pure heart, but a sick and a selfish heart. Not really trying to to, uh, worship God, but manipulate God. Their worship is not accepted because the guilt of their sin has not been forgiven and washed by the blood of the Lamb, and they are still guilty in the courtroom of God, and God will not accept their worship. But Christ comes to gather for himself a people to gather for himself a priesthood, that he would come down himself and a people who can't make themselves holy, he will make holy. A people who can't get rid of the sin, he will get rid of their sin. A people who cannot be made clean, he will be launderer's bleach for them. He comes down so that we could have righteous worship through his righteousness alone, and that is you. And so I kind of think about it like this. Recently, I've become a dad to August James Sestar, which I just love that little dude so much. Today, he is five weeks and two days old, and he is the cutest little kid I've ever seen in my life. But before five weeks and two days ago, I wanted nothing to do with babies, nothing to do with them. I was terrified of them. I was scared that I was going to break a baby. If you handed me your baby, I would be like trembling. Like, I don't want to be the one responsible for breaking their kid. Like, how am I going to live with that? You know what I'm saying? I don't want to do dad stuff. Don't ask me that. And I most definitely didn't want to change some random kid's nasty, stinky diaper. Like, get out of here with that. Jaron already tried that enough. And I said, no, the first diaper I change is my flesh and blood. That is it. Well, nothing to do with all this stuff. Right? Like, I didn't want to do the works of a father, and to be honest with you, on the inside, I didn't really care to do the works of a father. But then my son came into the world, and now that he's here, every single day, I'm on dad duty. And so I'm going to go home today, and I'm going to change some nasty diapers. I'm going to change some clothes that he's ruined, the 14th outfit for the day. He's going to start screaming, and I'm going to make him a bottle. I'm going to sit there and feed him. And when his tummy starts hurting because I know that he's got gas in there, I'll lay him on me and pat him like this. Like, I'll do all of the dad stuff because I'm a dad now. But I'm not just going through the motions. The truth is, is that when my son entered the world, something didn't just change in the way I act, it changed in here. 
that a love was implanted in my soul that everything I want to do for him. I think when he came into the world, I cried more than he did. I was the baby. And now, man, when he starts crying, I want everything to be okay. When I can tell he's uncomfortable and he's hurting, I want to fix it. When he's hungry, I want to give him food. When he's got a dirty diaper, I want to change it. I've got a love for my child. Something changed in here that manifested out here. Christ has come as a refiner's fire so that our work and our worship would be a sacrifice pleasing to him because it's according to his way and not our way. And so a Christian lives according to God's word. The Christian is filled with God's spirit. The Christian puts on the mind of Christ. The Christian doesn't participate in buffet Christianity, but says, Lord, my body is a living sacrifice. Whatever you want, you got it. But more than that, Christianity is a transformational religion. It is not just a set of rituals or morals, but it's a, it's a thing that when God gets a hold of you, he really does change you from the inside out. He really is a refiner's fire. He really is launderer's bleach. And no matter how sinful I was before, when Christ changes you, you are a new creation. And your worship is acceptable to God because it starts in here before it ever gets out here. But finally, our Our worship before God is acceptable because Christ doesn't just come to give me righteousness on the inside, but he gives me righteousness on the outside. What I mean is not only do I need to be freed from sin, but I need to be forgiven of my sin. My sin creates guilt. In the courtroom of God, I'm guilty unless I'm forgiven. And I can't expect to offer up sacrifices to God while I've got a a criminal record before him. But the good news is that Christ came To not just purify in here, but to purify out here. And now my worship is acceptable before God because I believe in Jesus Christ. I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. My sins past, present, and future are forgiven in Christ. And when I enter into the throne room of God with worship before him, he doesn't see a sinful being or a sinful creature. He sees his perfect son, Jesus. And our sins are forgiven before him and our worship is acceptable in his sight. And man, this is good news for more reason than one. Because I don't know about you, but I do not want to trust in my own righteousness even now as a Christian. Because God has renovated you, but we can all admit there's still a little Adam hanging over sometimes. Still a little Adam hanging on. And I don't want to trust God with my righteousness. Here's what I mean. If I can go back to the metaphor before, um, I love my son dearly. And like 95% of me, when he's screaming in the middle of the night, is I love you and I want to take care of you. But if I can just be a little crass and a little honest, there's 5% of me that says, I'm getting up because I just want you to shut up, please. And we've all been there, right? Like he's, you know, he's crying and like, I love him and I want to give you food and I want to help you. 95%, 5%, I just want to play Xbox. Please, son, go to sleep. Please, I'm begging you. Even our own righteousness is not enough. If, if we can put it into everyday terms, as someone who sings and plays on stage often, like a lot of the times when we get up to sing and to lead people in worship, 95% I'm prayed up, filled with God's spirit, ready to worship God and lead people in worship in him. And 5, 5% says, but I hope somebody thinks I did good. Maybe for you it's, I am ready to be the spiritual leader of my household. 
95%, I've been in the word. The spirit has convicted me. I'm ready to teach my kids. I'm ready to be there for my wife. I'm stepping up. And 5% is like, but I'm ready for my wife to quit asking me about it. Maybe it's I'm ready to give this gift to the church, to an organization, to an individual. I'm ready to financially bless them because they are in need. And I'm motivated and compelled by the love of Christ. But there's that much that says, but I hope somebody finds out and gives me a pat on the back. You understand that even our best righteousness oftentimes falls short. But I don't live my life in stress and worry. Because every time that my righteousness falls short, Christ's righteousness is there to pick me up. And every offering that I bring to God has to run through the one offering, Jesus Christ, to him. That every imperfect offering I bring to him is first covered by the blood of Jesus, sanctified by his righteousness, so I can go to God in confidence and worship, trusting him in the rest. His righteousness makes up the difference. But then finally, what does Malachi say? He says this, beginning in verse 5, And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien, because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi has just prophesied that God himself would touch earth. God himself would bring righteousness. The gist of this message is not that you get your act together. It's that God saves you. It's not that you refine yourself, but that God refines you. It's not that you clean yourself up, that God cleans you. He's prophesied that God has come to save the whole world. He will literally touch the earth. And with that, there is no excuse. Christ has left his mark on humanity. The gospel has gone forth to the ends of the world. The way we view time itself was transformed by Jesus. And for those who have heard the gospel and heard the good news and heard this free gift, I'll clean you up, I'll save you, I'll make you a priest, I'll do all of this for you, and so obstinately reject it. Those who would prefer buffet Christianity, do it my way, than following God's way, there's a simple message for them. If you will not come under the refiner's fire, you will wind up in the consuming fire. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, walked the earth that you could hear the message of him, of his free forgiveness and life and salvation. The theme of Christmas is we celebrate his coming 2,000 years ago, but at the same time, we anxiously wait for his coming whenever that will be. The thing about his coming 2,000 years ago is he was patient, and he taught, and he preached, in extended forgiveness. But the second time he's coming back, Malachi says he will swiftly administer justice. His second coming is not about repentance. It's about judgment, judging the living and the dead. If you're sitting under the sound of my voice and you haven't repented of your sins, if you're sitting under the sound of my voice and you've been living that buffet Christianity, kind of doing what you want, hear me today. Time has not run out yet, but it is running. Make a decision soon. Yield to the the wooing and the drawing of the Spirit of God. Let Jesus Christ refine you and clean you and save you and give you his righteousness. The time is now. 
I know in the middle of the night it's 3 a.m. and my son starts making all these grunting noises. I got about 20 seconds to run in the kitchen, make a bottle, and get back in the room or it's game on. He's going to start screaming and crying and Elizabeth's going to wake up and it's going to be a whole ordeal. Like there's a window, but it's short. Can I tell you, the window is still open. God's still holding out his hand, extending his grace to you. But today is the day. The judgment will come swiftly. But the righteousness is here. Place your faith in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Trust in him and watch him transform you from the inside out. And you will start living for the reason you were created, to be a priest before God and glorify him forever. Step into your God-given reason and purpose through faith in Jesus today. So church, would you stand with me? And as the band comes out to play, I want to ask everybody in the room to step down to the altar, to just have a time of worship and prayer and consecration to the Lord. Once you get down here in a moment, I just want you to pray about just a couple of things. Just ask the Lord to help you be the priest he's called you to be. Lord, open my eyes every day of my life to know that I'm in a temple and I'm called to sacrifice. God, help me know what it means to be a living sacrifice. God, help me to offer up a sacrifice of praise. God, help me to offer up a sacrifice of doing good before others. As Paul says, let my life be a drink offering poured out for the sake of others. Lord, help me to put on the mind of Christ that everything I do is pleasing holy and acceptable in your sight for this is the reason you made me. In the midst of that, see, Lord, help me to trust in Christ's perfect righteousness where I still fall short. And two, if you need to repent of your sins, we don't have to do a whole thing. I don't have to make you raise your hands, come down to the, I don't have to do anything. But in this short time, as the band begins to sing, if you need forgiveness, it's as simple as that. Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Save if you mean it, he'll do it. So if you would, would you lift up those hands? Come on, lift up those hands and ask the Lord to make you the priest he wants you to be. Come on. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.